Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of AWS Tech Chat. This is episode 68, and I'm Pete Stansky. So welcome to the show, and today I'm super excited because I'm actually joined by a good, dear old friend of mine, Mark Brown. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Yeah, it's so cool to have you on the show because uh, you and I have been friends for a very long time, uh, since, in fact, I joined AWS, so you're my senior. So how long have you been here? I have been here for, wow, uh, almost nine years. That's a long time. And so I'm seven years and seven months. So that makes us very, very old. Because this is dog years, right? Amazon years are dog years. <laughs> so you can times by seven. Indeed. So guys, um, this is a bit of an experiment. I've actually got Mark Brown talking to you today about something really interesting. And that is over the last, um, you know, almost what? almost a decade for you, uh, you've seen lots of organizations adopt technology. Uh, and because this is a tech show, I thought it might be kind of fun because we, you and I both did a little duet speaking to a few CIOs recently about some of the things that actually stops organizations adopt cloud, right? Yeah. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to uh, maybe kind of replay that for our listeners because I think there's some really interesting patterns and anti-patterns worth uh, you know, listening for in your organizations which may actually stop your cloud adoption. Let's do that. Yeah? Okay, so there are a couple of antibodies, perhaps, that we can maybe talk to. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about you a little bit more. So sure. you're actually a, a chemist by trade. To the point where I was about to correct you on antibodies. <laughs> antibodies are things that help you. You mean anti-patents. Anti-patents. Thank you very much. You're and this is, this is always good to have someone like you around to <laughs> keep me honest. So, but you started your career as a software guy. Well, well, let me be clear. Uh, by the way, I'm from New Zealand, um, and I've Scottish. The accent may be giving it away. <laughs> but, but I've been in Australia for 20 years, so my accent is kind of messed up. But uh, to answer the question, at, at university, I didn't know what I exactly wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I started with a broad science degree, so computer science, math, and, and chemistry. Um, and so favorite programming language? Did you well, well, I have any done, favorites? I had done basic for, for years. So Pascal was year one. So that was really easy transition. Mm-hmm. Year two, we started in ADA. So ADA was an extension of Pascal. That started well. And then things turned pretty quickly. In what way? Well, we learned this <laughs> language called Lisp, which is a cruel name for any computing language. I love Lisp. I hated it. <laughs> it did. I have a very left brain scientific mathematical view of the world this was so abstract like so the curly braces didn't work for you the structure the the lack of um like numbers to list thing it, it just it broke me i was out that was the end wow. of my computer science career. okay so computer scientist turned chemist yeah so i finished with a what i'd call a broad chemical engineering degree right and right now you're the enterprise lead here in victoria that's it which means what um, so my team and I look after the largest 20 companies in, in Victoria. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's and we love our customers. Cool. Yeah, we do. So uh, on with the show. So this is an experiment, like I said to you guys earlier. Um, Mark and I have been seeing a lot of companies. We actually tag teamed a lot in the early days. Great point. So yeah. in the last nine years, we've seen thousands of, of companies here in, in, in Victoria. Exactly. And across Australia and New Zealand, to be honest, as well. Um, and we've actually found some couple really couple of really interesting anti-patterns. Okay. So I actually thought it'd be well, well worth talking about it because a lot of you, are, you know, you've done some cool projects or you're working on something cool and then you grind to a halt. 
and you grind to a halt not because of anything technical. It's because of the organizational dynamics or something happens in the business. And as a technologist who's you know, super excited about cloud and building new things and reinventing the, the business model for your organization, you're kind of going, why isn't anyone listening? And I'm kind of stuck. So I thought you and I could talk about what are some of those, perhaps a couple of things, five things, we could maybe focus on that actually um, you could you know, listen for in your organization uh, when things don't go as smoothly or things that actually stop the cloud adoption or perhaps stop the cool project that you're working on? So really there's five things that, that we see that uh, can be attributed to the stall. Okay. So the five things are a lack of bold objectives, people overcomplicating what needs to get done, mm-hmm. um, trying to do it all themselves, so not leveraging the partners and the ecosystem. Uh, poor funding, like really not putting the resources where they need to be. And then the, the most obvious, you know, not aligning the business to technology. So I thought over the rest of the session, we could start mm-hmm. talking about how to stop those five things. That's a plan. So, okay. So we'll, we'll have uh, Mark Brown's chemical solutions to <laughs> My formula. the great stock, your formula. But before we go there, I mean, there's a lot of change in the industry, right? We've got the corona thing happening at the moment around the world. It's impacting a lot of organizations. Uh, but besides that, I mean, the market's are a great reflection of what's happening in business. Yeah, and the business that I spend my time with is enterprise. Um, and they're finding it tough at the moment. Um, an interesting stat for me, uh, did you know that GE is the only company that exists from the initial listing of the New York Stock Exchange? Actually, I did know that because it's like a 150-year-old company. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean it's phenomenal. Yeah. And if you look at it, the lifespan of a S&P 500 company used to be about 35 years in the 80s. Uh, It's actually down to less than 25 years. Uh, And more scary, in about 10 years time, Mm -hmm. it's gonna be less than 12. Like, companies are dying quickly. So what are the drivers causing this, Brownie? I mean, Um, but I'm gonna call you Brownie because that's your nickname, right? And and you call me Dr. Pete, so (laughs) we're in a circle of trust. The the drivers, so there's three things that are the biggest drivers of of this Mm. disruption. One is biotech, so the advancements in biotech, which is, an area that you know I'm passionate about. I probably listen to a podcast a day on, on <laughs> tech and bio. Uh, the second one is social media. Like uh, social media is driving a, a rate of change that you know we've we've never seen ever. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is is near and dear to us. It, it's cloud and yep. emerging technology. There are many unicorns that are now popping up, you know, all over the place. And you know the rate of growth and appearance of the unicorns has been phenomenal in the last, especially in the last decade. Yeah, so you look 10 years ago, you saw companies, maybe two a year, people like Spotify emerged, Airbnb, Dropbox, companies that we all we all know. Yep. There was probably two companies a year, and by unicorn, to define it, yes. it's a company that has a billion dollar valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Nowadays, we probably see, I don't know, 20, 25 of these companies emerge every year, uh, driven by those three drivers. Um, the tough thing for, for my customers, these enterprises, is they're competing against these unicorns. Mm. And the unicorns are defining the customer experience. And you know these companies are agile, they're, they're born in the cloud, yeah. they're nimble. And, and living up to their expectations is 
pretty tough. And, and that's, a, that's a great point, Mark. You know, redefining somebody else's customer experience means you can technically take over the customers, the, the customer base of the organization. I mean, yeah. what Uber has done to the taxi industry has been amazing yeah. and so rapid, right? I mean, millions of rides in New York are now going global everywhere, including here in Australia. Um, and that app has certainly redefined how drivers drive as well as how consumers actually interface with the service. It's interesting times, Dr. Pete. It is indeed, Brownie. But listen, more on to the show. So from a tech perspective, so the cloud side of things, now what are you seeing? Yeah, so what we started seeing was probably three, maybe three or four years ago. I mean, cloud conversations for us, had they were typically cost-driven, maybe a, you know, a little bit of agile transformation in there. But you know what the funniest thing was when we first started together, working together? Somebody asked me, can I get, can I get some books from you? I was like, no, I'm not that part of Amazon. That was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> My parents, we have evolved a lot since then, haven't we? We have, we have changed a lot, but, but typically cost savings was a big driver. Mm -hmm. And then about three or four years ago, people started talking about staff productivity. You know, how do I utilize my staff better? Mm. How do I automate more? How do I put people on value-added tasks? Um, the second conversation that was kind of new was, how do we make things more resilient? Yeah. And typically in the early days of cloud, you wouldn't have that conversation. People thought it was less resilient. But three years ago, people started talking about, how do I build things across availability zones, as we call them, yep. um, data centers in their language. Yeah. And then more recently, how do I build a multi-region, multi-country platform? And that's been pretty amazing because I remember having conversations starting with things like Elastic Beanstalk and this whole idea of auto-scaling groups. And you know, if a server falls over, we just restart it for you. And, and that was revolutionary only a few years ago for many of our customers. Uh, and look, many folks still use Elastic Beanstalk just for that, the simplicity, uh, the deployment mechanisms, um, but there's so much more, right? And this whole focus on you know, resilience is becoming more and more serious because resilience, um, you know, security, um, all those factors are critical. Uh, so when it comes to having a go, no-go decision for a particular project, which many of you know, uh, super interested you know, listeners here are hanging for now is, what are some of the things that should be looking out for Brownie uh, that they should be perhaps focusing or trying to fix? What's that formula that you were referring to yeah. that we can perhaps apply to make sure that those tech projects don't get slowed down or perhaps stopped? Let's jump into it. Um, right. so, so we noticed these questions and com you know, the conversations were changing. Mm -hmm. um, so what we did, we, we, you know, we've been in business now for 14 years. We have millions of customers and over 190 countries. Yeah. Um, we looked at thousands of engagements from the largest companies in the world to some here locally. Mm -hmm. And there was five things that consistently... Stay true, right? Yeah. Mm. And, and all the organizations that were going the fastest, these five things were, were always there. Okay, so what are these? Top okay. to bottom. And so let's go break some myths here. Okay, but I'm just going to list them before All we right. dive into them. <laughs> so the five things are leadership. Okay. Skills. Mm -hmm. Security. Of course, without a doubt. Modes of operations. and we'll Big conversation. Big conversation. Uh -huh. uh, and lastly, data or data, depending data. on where you live. The new oil. The new oil. The new oil. So those are the five things. And, and I think... Let's spend some time unpacking. Them. So let's break it down. Yeah. So let's double click on those. So let's talk about leadership for a moment. And you know, as as a leader, you and I, we're always torn between you know leadership and management. Yeah. Right. The 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 world of structure and order versus change and chaos. Let's let's unpack that. Well, and before I do, one thing I used to notice uh -huh. is where a change agent left company A, mm -hmm. and then Bob or Alice 
suddenly landed at company B, like big things would happen. And you could see them, them bring their clans, their team with them. So we, we always knew leadership was incredibly important. But what we noticed was, you know, leadership is, is a combination of different facets. So there's, there's management in there and there's leadership. But the, these organizations that weren't changing were very focused on management. Mm-hmm. And management focused on planning and I shouldn't use negative language, like you know, planning, mm-hmm. budgeting, that's a negative. Control. These have yeah. to be in place. Important. Yeah. Problem solving. So right. they were focused on order. Okay. So you know, I look at it a little bit differently. I kind of look yeah. at it as two kinds of people in, in organizations. Right? It's like either at war and you're building new yeah. things, or you're a peacekeeper. Yeah. Right? And I look at the order and structure as peacekeeping, and I look at leadership. Uh, so that's management. And leadership, I look at as it's that it's like the bold moves, the I'm going to bet the company on this. Or I'm going to change the business model. I'm going to be more customer obsessed. All those key things that set a bold vision and helps people to understand the purpose. I've got to say that, that those wartime generals, uh-huh. as we saw them move into the new organizations, they're not always lasted no. the culture around them. But Correct. I think those days are, are now behind us. And these change agents have, have things that are really important, that they focus on change. Like, they, they, they establish a direction pretty quickly mm-hmm. after joining a company. Um, they're more about motivating the team, training their team, and, and you know, giving them guardrails, but telling them to get out there and build. Yeah. You know, they have, I call it a clarity of purpose. Perfect. And I think the other key observation, at least from my perspective, is you know, they do look down to the grassroots. Yeah. and do focus on down in the lowest part of the organization, so the developers, the infrastructure people, IT folks, uh, they get in the control. It's no longer the command and control model, it's a decentralization of leadership where you anoint the people below you and below them uh, to be able to make decisions without having to report to the top every single time they have to make a decision on something. Yeah, so we, we used to notice when things were more of a project phase, yeah. If you just enable the masses, mm-hmm. give the devs a new platform, like great things would happen, but but only to a certain scale. And then the stall would happen. Mm-hmm. And to break through that stall of transformation, can I use the word transformation? You can, yeah. Um, I know it's an overused term. Overloaded. <laughs> but, but as ch- companies are changing, there was a point where the swell of the devs and, and the grassroots wasn't enough. And so it's important to have that that direction, that clear vision from from the top all the way down. Yeah, which kind of also translates to executive sponsorship. Yeah. Is there a sponsor on something that you're doing? Because those cool tech cloud projects that you're working on or that cool tech that's going to change the business model needs to have some executive sponsorship. Love it. All right. So what else is there, Brownie? What else have we seen over the last few years? Yeah, so so skills. Um, and I've got to say, you know, skills is something that have always been in short supply. Mm. Um, there's always a talent, on, there's a war on talent, right? Yeah. Every year, yeah. more and more, it's harder to find great people. Uh, and the ones that are, you know, absolutely, you know, certified, have got years of experience, they're really sought after. Yeah, and that's because more than three years ago, as these change agents went to new companies, that take the skills, you know, with their, their clan yeah. with them. And that was good enough. Yeah. But suddenly when everybody's changing, that, that's not going to work. So, so what we're seeing is those that invest in the skills of their people the most mm-hmm. uh, are moving the fastest. Yep, fully agree with you. And we've, we've had things like, you know, community of practices or internal user groups develop in organizations. We, we even here in, us, in Australia and New Zealand launched something called the Cloud Guild. Right, yeah. where we actually come along and help organizations actually come out with training and certification and you know support the people that do want to get 
uh, you know, more certified or get more skills and more experience in place in a much more structured way. Because that then actually leads to something else, which is they have the same dialogue, they have the same language. And when I say Beanstalk or ECS, EKS or S3, everyone in the company knows exactly what that means. Yeah, I see it as, as a virtuous circle of three things, training, action then change so you've got to start mm. with training the masses and we've seen some amazing things where um, recently one of the retailers here in australia the cio has been trained yes uh, and their executive assistant also. has also done their cloud practitioner that, that so was that, cool that's really that, cool that was, that, that's, that's, some, that's some serious investment that's in uh, you know um, making sure all your people oh. speak the same language and, and they were competing against the bank to see who could train them. <laughs> so you know good comp- you know competition gamification, gamification that's that was so, so then, you know, training is only good enough. I mean, um, modestly or not very much. I could probably go off and do my essay associate. Maybe you should. Maybe I could. <laughs> uh, and be dangerous. But unless you actually put it into action, unless these people are surrounded by people that have the experience, mm-hmm. so maybe surrounding someone with an associate cert with a professional with three years experience, you start to build this muscle memory, this action. And only then, only when you've put your cert into a year of action, yeah. are you really worth the, the you know. Uh, What's the, the phrase, we're, we're worth your, the salt? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> worth your weight in, in salt? salt. Yeah, that's it, that's the yeah. word. <laughs> Bit tongue-tied here. All right, okay, so definitely training leads to you know common language, leads to action, which then fundamentally drives change, right? Yeah, so the, the change is interesting. You, mm. you notice suddenly when everybody's talking the same language, something magical happens, like barriers are broken through. When, mm. when the executive assistant of the CIO yeah. knows the language, and the devs all know the language. People know the art of the possible. Um, so we start seeing this huge organizational swell of change. Yeah. Uh, and, this, and this flywheel of training, action, and change just speeds and it up. It drives the appetite for change. Because once you've learned that you can do something really quickly, um, and this is phenomenal, right? It's like the first domino topples. And you go, wow, we had no idea we could do this so quickly. Right? The first cool project, the first prototype done in days or hours in some cases, which normally would have taken you know, months uh, or quarters uh, you know, on traditional kit. Um, that has this amazing domino effect where you start to go, hmm, my appetite has just increased, I wanna do more. Yeah, all right, cool. Okay, so there's a huge momentum that you build up. Yeah. Right? Once you've got that leadership in place to support you, what's next? Yep, the next one is security. And you probably didn't think I was gonna say <laughs> that. Uh, so actually, we knew early on that if people were going through cloud transformation, you know, change, that engaging security early was, was you know, absolutely paramount. But, but engaging them is different to taking them on the journey. Mm. So, so these days, having security involved through all parts of the organization, through cloud and through transformation is, is you know, absolutely paramount. Yeah, so I guess the anti-pattern here really is if you don't engage your security team throughout the project or the activity, if you don't make security, as we call it here, you know, job zero or you know, everyone's responsibility, um, you know, if you only tap your security specialists at the start and it maybe at the end, well, well, at the end you have to, in some cases, uh, engage security, you may get a no. You can't go past here, right? Go back to jail, uh, as, as you would on Monopoly and make sure you do all the right things. Because yeah. that's how you know you can open up your organization to some critical, uh, absolute gaps in security and security vectors that 
are kind of you know pretty obvious and that's at every level whether it's at code level security whether it's at infrastructure you know security firewalls and networking uh, you know OWASP you name it um, the sooner you do that and the sooner everybody in the team does that the better and so three years ago we knew we had to get deeply involved with the security operations team and also help them put SEC into DevSecOps. Exactly. But, but actually working on this hub and spoke model where the centralized controls team knew everything that was happening out there, but people were also embedding automation for security into each project. It's really important, exactly, Brownie. You know, we've, we've seen customers now, you know, putting um, security reviews and security mechanisms into pipelines for, for DevOps deployments in tools, as, as well as now also having things like, you know, config rules that actually detect changes in your environment that, you know, if something happens by accident or perhaps intentionally by a bad actor, all those things can be not only just detected, but also actioned. And uh, you know, and brought you know, and surfaced to the security ops team to be able to resolve in super record time. So I was at a large bank last year, and, and the team, security operations team, were actually showcasing to the CIO their their dashboard. Uh-huh. And if anybody made an S three bu- bucket public, right, very within, common, yeah. yeah, within and obviously the CIO that was topical for them. Mm-hmm. But within seconds, there was an alert, a big red button saying, you know public S3 bucket. Nice. And they were so excited, although they were excited to the point where they asked, can I have this for my on-prem storage? <laughs> and and sadly, because it wasn't codified, uh, the answer was no. Right. Well, maybe we can fix that with uh, some out, out, outposts, perhaps, <laughs> nice. in someone's data center. All right, so that's pretty cool. So, so look, security in summary is, is a key thing. And, you know, we definitely have, you know, evolved with many of the customers out there that, you know, security teams and security thought leadership is critical. That's not a transactional interaction with them. It's everyone's responsibility. And, uh, you know, until you have a bad day, you really don't know what you're in for. But the example you just gave, I think, is perfect. You know, if I could just know exactly the state of my environment, how good would that be? It'd be great. And we mm. do not want anybody having a bad day. Indeed. All right. So that actually kind of leads us to the next very important big conversation topic, Mr. Brown, and that is managed cloud or not managed cloud versus, you know, a whole bunch of different operating models. That's yeah. a big discussion. So so the modes of operation. I remember, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, mm. a customer was asking us, come down and talk about the operating the model. model. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what do they want to talk about? Um, uh, so, so luckily we yes, had many of those conversations <laughs> over the years. Yes. We luckily we had some smart people working with us, and, and they explained it. Uh, and, and you know, it really was them transforming from a uh, traditionally an idle waterfall type mode of operation to an agile DevOps uh, mode of operation. But it, it became very topical. Maybe it was three years ago when Gartner started talking about bimodal IT. That um, was, I think, the pivotal moment for a lot of organizations who kind of realized that, you know, having a multi-speed IT economy actually makes sense yeah. where you got the the current way of doing it and then you got the cloud way of doing it. Yeah. Um, and that was an interesting, you know, uh, breaking of the seal, so to speak. There was a lot of debate over it, maybe too much. Well, uh-huh. one thing, Gartner never said it was the end state. No. They said it was a necessary uh, middle ground mm-hmm. uh, during transformation. Um, so they talked about you know two modes of operation. We kind of typically talk about three. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, the three that we're going to talk about today. The, the first one is managed cloud. Um, so what is it? Yeah. And what so is managed cloud? Called it mode one. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it really is where you take your, 
your standard operations and overlay them on, on top of cloud infrastructure, but improve upon them. Really important that you improve upon them. Okay. And, and yeah. In what way? Like, what if I have an outsourcer in a mix? Yeah. That's so, become interesting. So often with this managed cloud, there's a couple of patterns. Mm -hmm. You might see a large uh, SI. Mm -hmm. So a large- Quite a common thing in yeah. enterprise, yeah. Large integrator put their cloud platform over top of it, do the patching, um, mm -hmm. controls, you know, basic day-to-day -day caring and feeding and watering of the cloud, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great pattern. Because really, if it's looking after a whole lot of legacy back office applications mm -hmm. that aren't doing daily or even monthly uh, release cycles, there's not a lot of value in, in looking after that yourself. So mm -hmm. we started to see people outsource some of that. Um, we called it managed cloud. Okay. Uh, to the point where we built our own Amazon managed service. Yes, we actually got into the business. That, that was actually started down under here in Australia inside the support organization, which is pretty cool. Sentinel, as we call Sentinel, it. Sentinel, the can internal we, code project. I think we can. You just did. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that actually was something that actually was incubated in, uh, uh, in the support organization here. And uh, we did the whole Amazon, wrote the, uh, the narrative, the PRFAQ, the product feature requests, came out of that in terms of what the customer would potentially want, which then got escalated all the way up to the top. And bingo, um, we formed a team and a service now. And so the initial driver of that was was cost, mm -hmm. and because you know reducing thirty percent of your IT costs by going to the cloud is interesting, mm -hmm. but reducing thirty or more than thirty yeah. percent of your operational costs that got really interesting. That's good so, for a business case. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's 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 in your toolkit. So if you've got a project that potentially is a great candidate for having that part of infrastructure perhaps being more managed and devoped yeah. or click opt. Um, Maybe that's worth considering. Yeah. In fact, I, I encourage everyone to dip their toe in and, and try some. Mm -hmm. Don't don't make a big sweeping bowl change to everything. Throw, yeah. 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 So never, never a good thing. Go go slow yeah. and speed up over time. All right. So that's one. What's the next model that, that uh, we, we see often? Yeah. So the next one we'll call cloud ops. All right. Um, you could call it mode one point five. <laughs> I don't call it that. But but it's this middle land between um, you know, managed cloud, traditional mm -hmm. operating model, and DevOps. So, oh, so it's ClickOps. No, no? <laughs> it's not ClickOps. It, I'm gonna call it again a hub and spoke model. All right. Meaning you have a centralized cloud team and their job is to look after any shared services. Mm -hmm. So it could be Splunk or Sumo Logic. Okay. You know, they look after monitoring, logging, active directory, backups. Help me out here. You know, all that <laughs> all that stuff. Shared file systems, exactly. Shared yes. file systems. Right. But but they also can look over the cloud kingdom. Okay. And have controls. They might overlay some um, some security controls across the cloud. Well, they should. No, yeah, yeah they, they, great, it's, great it's a must, not a should. It's a, it's a must. It's a must. Uh, they can look at the cost management across mm -hmm. all projects, but it's a centralized. Actually, cloud that's a really team. important point. Actually, cloud mm. economics, right? Because you know you can buy RIs, reserves, instances, reduce your operating costs. We've got savings plans now, which actually helps you. you know, if you're making that transition architecturally from EC2 to serverless to containerization, really important. So, so that that part actually, I would say, is really important because the money you save on us, you can put towards other business initiatives. Yeah, that's often forgotten. Yeah, and. Uh, I hate hearing war stories of, of sticker shock or you know cloud shock. I, I, it hasn't happened on my watch, uh, 
but you know it really shouldn't happen and again it's a, sh- a shared res- responsibility yeah. between the vendor and the customer but th- this cloud ops team uh, i would say in a typical enterprise depending on the size of them but you know let's look at a 5 billion dollar revenue type company mm-hmm. the cloud ops team is probably you know more than 3 people but you know maybe less than 10 it's right. five okay. or six people that are looking after the cloud the well-being of it yeah and i guess when i think about all these different operating models it's about balancing out the controls versus capabilities yeah. right as you control more you release the other so this is it's a bit of a, a pendulum which swings one way or the other yeah and obviously that managed cloud has has huge controls over yeah. top of it mm-hmm. um i mean if you're managing uh, sap mm-hmm. uh, and your, your your main finance system that's quite different to releasing a pretty static website for your customers. Yeah. So. Or, or, or something extreme like, you know, auto scaling to meet the demand of, you know, a click frenzy event of some sort, big online shopping or something. And that's where you need to crank up the capability level, mm-hmm. which brings us to the DevOps? next pillar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I look, I'm, I'm not going to, um, <laughs> I'm not going to try and define DevSecOps, but in Amazon speak, it basically means, you know, you build it, you run it. Um, you live you live with the pager. Yeah. <laughs> you sleep with it every so often and uh, take the calls at whatever time of the morning when uh, things get broken. Um, it's your job to make sure that, you know. Look, I think we actually found, by the way, that um, teams that actually have adopted pipelines and DevOps mindsets are far happier than those that haven't. Yeah. Right. If you can do rollouts or deployments by the click of a button for a pipeline, which automatically rolls back, as opposed to staying up, uh, you know, over the long weekend trying to hand crank something and then have uh, you know oh hell moment when something breaks, bad, bad, bad. Yeah. Right. So teams are a lot happier. But the other part of it also is because this whole aspect of putting security in the mix here. It's not just about doing it and break. So running fast and breaking things. It's actually about running fast potentially breaking things, but the things you break are the things that actually slow you down. And security shouldn't be one of those things. And you know, many years ago, uh, I think at our Sydney summit, we actually spoke about you know how you can be secure and run fast. I was CISO, Steve Schmidt was actually talking about- how You can be more secure. You can be way more secure, in fact. Fast. Yeah, but you, but you have to start. That's what I was saying earlier. Don't jump all in and do something crazy straight away. It's like going to the gym. If you're gonna lift a heavy weight in the gym, you're probably gonna pull a muscle. Right, gradually build up to that, you know, the big lift of something, but practice along the way because that practice, that experience, that muscle memory is so valuable longer term. And in fact, in enterprise, I mean, enterprises aren't Spotify uh, yet. But you know, but, but we have enterprises that are trying to be like startups. That they are. That's pretty cool. But to be fair to them, perhaps don't give them the pager the very first day <laughs> that they go to DevOps. You yes, know. they might walk out the next morning. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so I noticed in enterprise, DevOps could just mean actually bringing the IT and the business together for a product rather than a project. That's so true. And that product could have a cross-functional team. There could be you know, the product owner, a BA, a, a, a PM, a BA, a couple of devs, a yeah. full stack engineer, a security person. And so you've built a little DevOps team. Now, perhaps for the first workload, you can still hand it over to a traditional operations team for a few months until you work out the muscle memory mm. of, of operating at scale. But that's a cool thing because as we just talked about three different pillars for different modes of operating, you could actually gradually hand those things off into the managed cloud team potentially for the workloads that potentially are great candidates for it or maybe continue to own that particular thing, if you do have a living and breathing cross-functional team, um, that's going to make frequent changes to it. 
Yeah, and so I hear a few enterprise say, well, we're going to have five modes of operation. And again, that's not their targets to What hate. are the other two? <laughs> the other two are these interim steps in between. Got it. So if DevOps is far right, pure mode two, mm-hmm. where everything is a product team, they're managing everything themselves, that would be a mode two end state. But, but even then, there's probably a centralized team looking after some cloud. I mean, why would a product team manage Active Directory yeah. for their team rather than for the whole company? Correct. So uh, there are some intermediary states. Correct. And, and life is not that black and white, right? There's a lot of shades of gray. <laughs> Lots of 50? 50. Oh, can we talk about that? <laughs> Probably not. Apparently it's a great book. I haven't read it. I watched the film though. I have not watched the film. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay, so we've done modes of operation. What is, uh, what is left? The last one is data. Uh, Although, data? is that? Data? Yeah. It's how you potato, tomato? I don't know if that's a Kiwi versus Australian thing or? <sighs> you know, in this ever-changing world, I mean, people make decisions. And one thing we've learned at Amazon is, you know, speed trumps a lot of things. And, uh, we can't you, say Trump. We can't say Trump. Freddy. I'll move on. Uh, so you want to make decisions really quickly. And data is such a critical part because if you make the wrong decision, at Amazon we talk about you know, one-way doors and two-way doors. And this whole idea of a one-way door is when you make a decision, you can't back out of it. But in life, quite often, you can actually go through a two-way door. When you make a decision, you realize it was the wrong decision, and you go back. But, it, but that can be costly and it'll slow you down. And one thing we've found that, you know, with business efficiency, if you want to drive to an amazing outcome, you know, and you want to make sure your customer experience is, you know, is highly focal to what you're doing, you know, and you're looking for new streams of revenue, um, you know, you really want to start making decisions based on data, right? Have, you know, you know, a, da- a data lake or the databases or those silos that have been locked up. You know, you want to open those things up to make sure that when a, an executive or a team or an individual makes a decision, it's not a not just a gut thing or I think, therefore I'll just do. It should be driven by data. And we do a lot of things internally, whether it's writing a you know a narrative. You know, your narrative gets you get gets torn apart if there's no data in it. Uh, you want to make sure that whatever you do, and most executives, as we've learned over the years, quite often, especially CIOs, they don't often get to make data-driven decisions. And uh, you know, the, the future of many organizations is data-driven. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of where we're heading with all these things. And there are many challenges that we actually find. Right? And uh, you know, quite often people are stuck with the economics of the actual um, of what they've got. They don't have any uh, money. They can't make any changes. And then there's the question of, do, do I keep all my data? Do I get rid of right. some of it? And, and yes. again, the answer is, it's not black or white. It you depends. Don't, you don't, yeah, you, <laughs> it depends. You don't keep it all, you don't get rid of it all. You, you keep it until you derive the value. Data is the new oil. It is, but you think about it, and, 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 and when you use an oil analogy, I love that because you have to refine it, cool. right? When you've got the crude oil, which is you know, the stuff you pull out of the ground, you, there's, there's an economic model that goes with that where you, know, you have to refine it, you have to purify it, you have to make sure it's got the right number of octanes in it. Uh, so when I think about the economics of that, and that is you know, the cost of a terabyte or, or a gigabyte of data, as an example, on-premises is going to be X. We know exactly what it's going to be in S3 or in Glacier. Right? So when you start to think about the economics of that, you know, I call it the cloud economics, cloud makes a lot of sense because if you don't know what data to keep, you might throw out the wrong bits of data, right? the wrong bits of information, the wrong log files, the long, wrong transactions. Keep it all. Keep as much of it as you can afford to keep. Right? But then you're also often constrained by the actual technology. right? And you've got you know, many organizations have 
lots of rigid platforms, you know, purpose-built technology for a data warehouse or for some other system. Um, and, and to make all that stuff talk to each other can be really problematic. And data is no longer highly structured. More and more these days we're moving to highly unstructured data sets, information that comes from lots of dis disparate systems that don't necessarily have the same formats. Um, and if you pump it onto a data lake where you're trying to collect everything to get a 360 view of your business or your customers, um, that stuff is really key to perhaps helping you drive those decisions moving forward. And you know, if that wasn't enough, you're also often troubled by you know all the different um, solid data sets. This is the one I get asked the most. Uh -huh. We have 150 different data sources. <laughs> we couldn't possibly do this. And the answer is you have to do this. And, and again, we, we talked earlier about people overcomplicating it mm -hmm. and saying we can't start until we have all 150 data sources. <sighs> no. The answer is just get started, choose five data sources and figuring out how to get them all together, exactly. how to be silos. Once you've done those five, you'll be smarter at the next five, then the next 50. But, but too many customers of mine say, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. I've got so many data sources all over the place. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's the agile mindset, right? Where you think about, I don't need to finish something before I start the next thing. Let's just actually parallelize these things and let's just get those five data sets or those silos opened up. Let's see what we can do once we aggregate that data. And, and like to, to go back to the analogy of the, the crude oil, well, it's a pipeline process, right? You're gonna fuel the data in its raw state to the next, through the pipes, the ETLs, the extract, transform, and load processes that'll actually transform, enrich, purify, or maybe even tokenize your data if it's highly sensitive, uh, so that you can do the next set of analytics in the other tool, right? And the beauty of you know uh, moving to cloud and the whole idea of cloud economics is you can actually decouple storage from compute. So just because you've got a huge data lake that's being hydrated with you know those 150 data sets, all of a sudden you know you have the ability to start to apply things like uh, all the business things that you know machine learning brings you, or you know the customer demands, or real like real real time predictive information um, that often has been you know. Uh, held back because you know your apps and systems and databases didn't actually play together very well. So it's a very interesting time for a lot of organizations when it comes to actually making the right decisions. Because the unicorns they're competing with. That's exactly what they <laughs> do. They have the access to the data. <laughs> They've been built natively. They are making decisions on data because they will die if they don't. Yeah, and you think about it, I mean, the basic example of, you know, whether it's Netflix or Spotify, I mean, if you look at their recommendation engines yeah. that are fueled by your click streams and everybody else's, that is, you know, the hidden magician that's telling you, here's the next film you should watch. Yeah, well, one step past that, Dr. Pete, they're actually making the movies based on that information. Oh, so true. Touche, Brownie, so, touche. So, that's exactly they, why Netflix is investing so much money in actually other content. Yeah. And they know exactly what to make. It doesn't have to be the best content. <laughs> it just has to be the content that everyone wants to watch. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating because I actually relived this just on the weekend. Oh, okay. I watched a show, which I won't name, on that particular provider. And uh, it had all the right recipes, but it wasn't a great show. <laughs> so maybe we're almost there, but not quite. I'll leave my uh, TV recommendations for another day. <laughs> all right, so that's data, right? So it's really the economics, the actual technology, and all of the siloing of information um, that needs to be unlocked. So, um, all right, now it's getting time to start wrapping up, Mr. Brown. So any kind of you know, common uh, anti-patterns that we should cover, just to make sure that everyone who's listening, you know, they can, you know, when they spot those, they can go, aha, uh -huh, there's yeah, one. I should yeah. avoid that. And we, we covered these at the start, but let's, let's close it out by... By going back through, the first one is if you're not seeing leadership giving bold 
directions, then then you know things are never going to change. Mm-hmm. And and staying around hoping is madness. Like unless you know there's a new leader coming with bold direction, then things will always be the same. But you can't always win either, right? Because you never know what, what the bold visions are going to be, whether they're actually complementary or not. So my, my suggestion you know, is be the leader uh, you know, that you seek. Yeah. Uh, try to drive it bottom up if you have to. Um, I think tech and cloud is such an amazing um, tool which can influence, influence quite aggressively senior executives because you get to influence the business model. Yeah, and actually, let's show some empathy to these leaders. Like, it, it's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. Like, turning the ship around mm-hmm. of, a, of a big, slow-moving ship is, is tough. Uh, these people are way smarter than me, and, and they get paid very well to do this. But they know that if they're not bold, they won't survive. Uh, and those that are protecting their careers, it's madness. It, it, it won't last. Correct. And, and look, the other thing is to be really mindful is change does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's a multi-quarter, multi-year journey, which requires c- consistent messaging, consistent cultural injection, um, and making sure that bold vision is flexible. I mean, set the vision, and we often talk about this at Amazon, you know, be bold on the vision, but be flexible on how you get there. Yeah, and, and in fact, the culture will dictate how fast you can get there. And, and in fact, a leader going a little too fast for the culture could get a little rocky as well. Can get very unhealthy for a lot of people. Yeah. Okay, so leadership, be bold. Yeah. Okay. Uh, overcomplicating. Wow. I mean, this one kills me to watch. You know, mm-hmm. how often do we go into a meeting and there's a plan and it sounds exciting and then the execution plan comes out and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This does not need to be a 12-month. Uh, 25 people project. <laughs> yeah, with a budget of $10 million. I always say if you constrain resources, people, money, time, people will get really innovative. So um, I think for me, just keep it simple. Like, get started. Don't, don't overanalyze what you're going to do. Don't, don't get frozen in, in analysis paralysis. paralysis. It's hard to say. It is. And, and look, sometimes you actually, that is so true because, you know, quite often, you know, when you ask people who have made bold plays, often will say, if I knew what I was in for, I probably wouldn't have done this. <laughs> so, so I so, say that about a lot of things. <laughs> So a little bit of uh, you know healthy ignorance, uh, conscious ignorance may actually be really useful because sometimes you just don't know everything and you never will until you actually get to that bridge and you get across it. Right? Uh, and and that innovation piece will kick in because you know scarcity, lack of resourcing, budget funding, whatever tooling uh, will actually make you think really creatively. And yeah. that's, that's 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 the fun. That's the journey. Speaking of not knowing everything, too many companies like this. There's these extreme models of doing it all yourself uh-huh. or outsourcing all of it to somebody else. Yes. And, and both of those are bad patterns. The, the answer is there's a balance somewhere, and it's not in the middle, but there's a balance somewhere in between those two things. It's like a healthy diet. <laughs> If you eat too much of the wrong thing, you might you know, get a sore I'm big on fasting at the moment, so that's not the best analogy. I haven't eaten since dinner last night, so. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be watching your, your, your health uh, uh, review next month. We can go deep into yeah, the can, biology of fasting yes. next month. Um, so not leveraging the ecosystem. Yeah. Like you cannot do this all yourself, yeah. uh, nor should you like hand it off to somebody else. But, you know, getting the best of breed uh, resources from a partner and helping them maybe on agile transformation, maybe mm-hmm. on organizational change, maybe on the latest DevOps tooling, yeah. maybe on containers versus uh, serverless. But you know, 
listen to other organizations, bring them in, utilize them, um, and find a balance between insourcing and outsourcing. And to be really empathetic, I mean, not every company has, you know, IT as, you know, the most important thing on their agenda. In fact, it's actually the bit that actually keeps the business moving, right? If if you're just doing tech for tech's sake, you're probably a startup in a high-tech sector. But if you're a, a... general organization doing business, you know, IT is the engine room that supports your business first. Yeah. Right? So you often you do have to look outside of your own internal organizational boundary and go, let me buy the outcome from somebody else because they're probably better at this because they do it every day and that's all they do. And just just move on. Put it in your project plan, put it in your backlog or whatever it is and go, yep, we're not doing that because I don't have the time to hire or source that individual or that team of individuals. I'm just going to buy that team for the next three months and then be done with it. Nice. The the next one is poor funding. <sighs> that's, yeah. a, that's a that's a fun one because funding. You know, I once sat in a meeting and um, somebody asked me how much money does Amazon spend on innovation. Ah, right. What was that? What was the budget? And I said we don't have one. We just don't because we we kind of try to innovate every day on everything we do. Right. If you have an innovation budget, that kind of makes you a little bit lazy if you think about it. Because there's all this money just sitting around, and then, then you often end up being caught up in this. I'm going to try to, you know, uh, have a solution to a problem I don't really have. Yeah. But when you flip it to, I have a problem. Now, if you have a bucket of money, that's great. <laughs> but quite often you don't. So you need to figure out how do you then actually transform your organizational, you know, your team or your business to pivot around the available funding budgets that you've actually got. Yeah. And we always get told about do more with less. And I really, uh, you, you know, I'm a big fan of this, uh, you know, do more with less because the cloud lets you do it. If you apply a cloud economic lens to how you architect something, how you build it, how you, you know, procure RIs or, you know, use savings plans to your advantage, you can actually, and I drew this up for a few customers over the years where the savings on even compute can actually fund entire projects once you're actually on scale. So your yeah. ROI actually increases over time, but that's playing almost like a CFO. Yeah, uh, if you think of it from an HR lens, mm-hmm. what about taking those savings and putting them back into your people? Oh, yeah. If, if we believe in the skills gap we talked totally. about, we do. that investment in, in skills will come back uh, as a huge return on investment. Yeah, and, and the other thing is also, when it comes to funding, the other thing to consider also is think about other ways of measuring uh, your economics in terms of innovation accounting. Uh, or things like, you know, you know, what are you doing? You know, how do you measure innovation? Is it the number of POCs? Or maybe is it, is it, is it the spend or is it CPU hours or invocation of Lambda functions? Get really creative around how you measure innovation because quite often there is an ROI conversation at some point in your organization. And if you don't have that kind of data available to you, then you're going to be caught out. Right? So don't be afraid to actually speak within your teams around how do you measure you know, what your consumption perhaps has been versus number of builds, the number of pipelines, the team satisfaction. Many of these intangibles that often people dismiss are actually incredibly useful. And if you look at how a DevOps culture develops itself, you know, mean time to restoration from failure, all of these things are incredibly useful mechanisms to measure the return on your investment. Might not, not quite apply to your on-premise infrastructure, uh, but some do. Uh, but in, in those cases, you can actually start to measure progress and evolution of the organization via some of these almost CloudWatch metrics-like yeah. um, measures. And then the flywheel starts where the, the savings are then put back into new products, mm-hmm. into your people. That borns more work, more outcome, and the, the flywheel gets faster and faster. 
Absolutely. And the final one, Mr. Brown? Well, this one is obvious, but, and I, well, maybe it's obvious these not, days. Not always. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't obvious, you know, when we started the, this uh, locally, um, what was it, nine years ago, like seeing IT and the business together was unheard of, except for, in, you know, the dot-com companies. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, these days, I remember when one of the enterprises had a stunning idea to put IT and the business in the same floor, like of the building. And, and it progressive. Was, it was progressive. Yeah. But but these days, you know, it's a given, right? It's, yeah. it's a given. You have yeah. you have to have you know your IT folks sitting with the business yeah. team. But also equally important, you got to have again security, right? But also HR. I'm seeing more and more companies actually having uh, a much bigger share of the voice at 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 the uh, at the table, not just from IT but also from HR. So it's yeah. really important. My, my least favorite part of my job is when I'm involved with. A product or a project, and the business cuts the funding, or the funding's all dried up, and the biz- the first business outcome was never realised. They had mm. they had built this incredible thing; it was so close, but they were trying to tackle five things. Mm-hmm. Where if they just got one business outcome out first, yeah. the business would have said that was exactly what we wanted. Now go away and do the other four. So, I mean, I guess it's obvious these days, but bringing the IT and the business together maybe sitting together maybe maybe actually being a cross-functional team but but making sure that every IT project or, or product or is something that the business is happy to pay for absolutely and it's about collaboration at the end of the day it's all right. about collaboration. shared responsibilities shared outcomes you know and uh, everyone having a bit of uh, their own skin in the game so to speak Guys, we're out of time. As always, this this show so much fun to produce, and uh, we're always pushing um, our time limits here. So, Mr. Brown, thank you so much for sharing your uh, your chemical uh, compound uh, formulas for cloud adoption. You're most welcome. I'd love to come back and talk about uh, the evolution of Clisp, uh, Lisp into Closure. Is it Closure now? Uh, and other programming language that that uh, that I don't like. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we'll have you coming on the show and we talk about F Sharp as well. All right, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. So, Mark, thanks for joining us. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. And, uh, guys, let us know what you think. This is a bit of an experiment, as I said at the start of the show, uh, to actually share with you a couple of other things as technologists to be aware of to make sure that, uh, you know, all the fun that we have building tech and disrupting industries and, uh, you know, uh, using cloud as, a, as an amazing um, canvas for creativity um, also has business roots. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Brownie. Ciao. See ya. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com. <laughs>